Has your marriage turned out nothing like you expected? You've faced some pretty tough and dark moments, and maybe you're feeling pretty hopeless about it right now. Maybe you've walked through some difficult things like infidelity and deception, porn addiction, or worse, and you're wondering if it's too late to recover, and you just want to know that it's possible. My guest today, Jules Morlet, helps us understand the curse of shame, its effect on us, and the war that the enemy is raging on our marriages since the beginning of time. And she's offering healing hope and a path to recovery that she found in her marriage and that we can too when we let go of control. So go grab your coffee and come join us for our conversation. Here we go. This isn't a game of ding dong ditch. And don't worry, I'm not a solar panel salesman. I'm just here to see you, friend. Whether you have spit up stains and cluttered counters, or you're still in your heels from work and just getting dinner started, take a minute and come sit with me. Welcome to the JAR podcast with your host, Lydia, certified teacher, homeschool boy mom, oh Lord help me, and marriage ministry leader, bringing you tough lessons from my own journey to soul health and wholeness. Together each week, we'll discuss our struggles, pain, and shame. We'll combat labels and lies with biblical truth, and we'll work through our mess and come out stronger, more confident, and rooted in our identity in Christ. So move your pile of laundry over. Better yet, let me help you fold it while we talk. Thanks for letting me in. Now let's get real. All right, guys, welcome to a special edition, a live edition of the JAR podcast. We've got a special guest with us in the house today, and her name is Juliana Morlet. And she's going to talk a little bit about herself in just a minute, but I did want to just say that I just love the way that God works and networks and really has Mm -hmm. people find each other because I don't set out to make these connections, but I am always so excited when it happens. And so we have a mutual friend. She is someone who recently found Juliana um, and has gone to some of her marriage, um, what would you call them, like little small group sessions? Yeah, small group Bible study. Yeah, but I've known our friend for like 15 years since college. It was a connection made. We met for coffee, realized we live right down the street from each other, and we're like, obviously, we're going to meet up for coffee. So crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Their local coffee shop. Exactly. But super excited to have her here today because our missions and our hearts are just really aligned for a similar purpose, and that is for marriages and specifically today for wives. So, Mm -hmm. Juliana, will you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Juliana Morlet. I um, go by Jules. Uh, a lot of people just call me Jules. They don't even know I have a real full name. Um, although my middle child has recently called, started calling me by my first name, which is oh. really weird. Yeah. Um, but I have been married for about 13 years, so still a rookie compared to some. My story feels like I've lived about nine lives, but I've encountered, you know, pretty much everything from growing up as a victim of child abuse to a single mom to having a stepdad blended family. My stepdad is is my dad. You know, I call him dad. He raised me, went to college uh, during the recession. My love story is a glorious soap opera. (laughs) So we might be able to touch on a little bit of that at some point today. And we have three kids ages nine, six, and about to be four. And we are worship leaders, pastors. We've been 
involved in the church in all forms, church plants, small churches, big churches, medium churches, home churches, mega churches. And right now we're in a, a really beautiful season of stepping away from the organized version of the church and really just seeking the Lord and saying like, what are we doing here? What are we doing next? What does our marriage mean in this context? What does our parenting mean in this context? And so we're in a little bit of a transition phase, which is new and exciting, but I genuinely feel like I am more um, aware of the goodness of God than ever before in my life. So um, it's a really beautiful season. My husband and I run a marriage ministry and it started out with a book that we wrote during the pandemic. And that was really, we started writing a premarital content because we had a lot of just younger, we realized like, oh, we are the older couple now. <laughs> All of these younger couples are like, will you come do premarital with us? And I'm like, are we old enough to do premarital? Oh, man. So at some point we crossed over and no, there was no warning sign, but we were doing premarital sessions with couples. And then we, um, a lot of marriages around us, we, we started getting to that, like, you know, nine to 13 years of marriage where things just start dissipating and disintegrating and structure and the young love is done and you have three kids and a track home. And a lot of our friends started just going through some really hard stuff. We were going through some really hard stuff and we started noticing patterns in the different marriages and in writing the premarital content, you know, talking about Adam and Eve and God's design for marriage. And what does the story mean? We just wrote it down and it ended up turning into a book um, in the middle of the pandemic. We didn't have a ton of free time, but the time that we did had, we just kept writing. Tyson was the one who actually sat down and authored the book. And I like to say, I just made it a little bit better by editing some of <laughs> the vocabulary. And You're the filter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Although he did sneak some cuss words in there. So that's a disclaimer. There are a couple of, you know, minor cuss words, but I think oh. in the context of marriage and what, what we're trying to communicate you know, it's just, it's just a strength for the idea that your marriage matters and the relationship. And it's less about like happiness and joy and living happily ever after and more about showing, spoiler alert, Christ in the church, you know, and if the gospel doesn't work here, then where does it work, you know, and that fleshes out in a, a couple of different scenarios so anyways that's the very long version of me <laughs> no I love it and also disclaimer my husband finds the few cuss words actually very refreshing as well okay. reading this book out loud because he's like yes they're real <laughs> like <laughs> oh yes yeah so yeah. it's definitely something I recommend my husband loves that it was written by a man kind of for men but yes. also I'm getting things out of it too. So it's really great. And even just the concept in the book about what marriage was designed for in mm. more of a heavenly perspective and the power that it has. So yeah. kind of going back to what you said about your marriage being a soap opera, um, ours has been <laughs> likened to a train wreck before. So, you know, yeah. your choice of yeah. word there. Um, and I'm sure everyone that's listening either has experienced or is currently going through mm. something that they would call a train wreck or a soap opera. It's dramatic, it's painful, causes a lot of damage, or there's a mm. lot of things to unpack and, and go through. So what led you guys to what you would call the soap opera moments and what did you learn through it, especially in regards to what kind of the topic is today with shame? Yeah, that's a great question. I think our story is less an anomaly and more common than we assumed it was when we were in it. And I think that we're still in it. 
but the I'm actually going to just read the first like the first page of the book my parents read this book also and (laughs) the first page of the book literally says and it's Tyson writing I remember sitting on the opposite side of the closed bathroom door from her in our newlywed apartment with tears in my eyes and enough adrenaline running through my veins to lift a car I could hear her muffled sobs and I felt so many things at once anger sadness despair regret pity why was this so hard why was this person that I love so much so angry and how could that little 120 pound woman which is a great embellishment of my current way <laughs> I was like you are a liar um, but I was a sweet life have the power to make me want to curl up into a ball and hide in a closet I'd read the books we did the counseling nothing could have prepared me for the collision course that is marriage two half independent 20 somethings jammed together in a 450 square feet navigating childhood trauma eruptions and in-laws whose idea was this anyways and I feel like right at the beginning what we wanted people to know before they got into our story was that we were a mess and that most of us are and I think what led us to this point of our, cause I, you know, I was, I was church girl. Like I was youth group girl. I had all the right answers. I was, you know, the high school version of what we would call Pharisee today. You know, I was the friend that was like, you shouldn't be dating him because he's not good for you and God's plan and all the little bows and verses. And like, I, I was that girl. And I've done a little bit of a redemption tour with my high school friends and be like, I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. I was a terrible person. <laughs> You know, and it's it's part of the story. It's part of things. But I was I was the girl who got things right. I was the girl who had a plan. I was the girl who trusted that God had a plan. And Tyson was almost the complete opposite. And so we got married. Really, we weren't young. I mean, I was 21, which feels young now, but 21 and 26. And I think we knew we didn't go in with rose colored glasses. I did not think that our marriage was going to be perfect. Um, I knew we were going to fight. I knew we were going to encounter chaos because I I was raised in chaos I did not know that the place of my deepest wounding was going to be the place of his deepest wounding and that those two places were going to wound one another and if you would have told me that the girl who had been abused by a porn addict which was my biological dad was going to marry a porn addict I would have said there is no way in heaven or on earth or under the earth that I'm going to make that commitment. So the beginning of our story started when we were engaged and pornography had come up. And I was like, you know, I told him my story. I was abused by my biological dad when I was younger. And that's what caused the divorce and all the chaos of my childhood. And so I could never marry anybody that struggled with pornography. And then I looked at him and I said, what, do you struggle with pornography? And any normal human in that moment would be like, no, of course not. Like, wh- what is that? Like, cause I just set up this great, like, you know, we're almost engaged and I could never marry anybody. And, and he would, so he lied in that moment and he talks about it in the book and he's obviously super open about this part of his story, but I came into the marriage on the premise of this lie and he came into the marriage on the premise of I was this good, godly, forgiving, gracious woman. We can weigh sin, quote unquote. We can weigh wounding. We can weigh the weight of relationship by like, is his worse than mine? Who's his, who's his worst? 
Um, but at the end of the day, they're both destructive. And so we got married three months in, I had just a gut feeling at work that something was not right. And so I went home and, you know, long story short, I ended up finding pornography on his computer and uh, denied it. And we just went around and around. And I think this is where, this is where it gets confusing in marriage. And I know a lot of people like to say like, God is not a God of confusion and chaos. He's a God of peace. And I think that is true, but sometimes you have to sit in the confusion to find the peace. And so I just, I knew that I, I wasn't going to relent, but I didn't feel like my marriage was over. I think when I initially found it, a couple things ran through my head. I thought, I can't believe that I married somebody with the same problem. And so it wasn't even about my marriage anymore. It was about my kids. And I didn't, I wasn't able to identify that until recently, like literally within the year, this year is that when I was fighting up against my marriage for so the shame and the grief and the control, it wasn't even about me and him. It was about you're now a threat to my future children mm-hmm. because that's how I was. I was when my mom married, you know, somebody who was addicted to pornography and she didn't know. And then all this chaos ensued. And so we went around and around and he kept saying, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And I remember just sitting there and saying like, here's the deal. I think we can make it through this. Like, I think that there's probably a way forward. Um, we were surrounded by a lot of community, a lot of pastors, um, people, my parents, his parents. I was like, so I think we can make it through the pornography addiction. I, I'm not sure we can make it through the lying though, because if there's one, like if there's lies, we can't, we can't do anything with that, you know? So he leaned back and it was the, I'm like shaking, retelling the story. Cause it's so vivid in my mind, this moment where I like see him lean back and surrender. And I just feel like in hindsight, that moment was so holy because that's when he decided I'm going to choose naked and unashamed, but it didn't start out. It was, it was, I'm going to choose nakedness. I'm going to choose being known by this person. And I'm so ashamed of it. And I think, you know, when you read in the book, we tie a lot of our story to the story of Adam and Eve and how, when they took the fruit and they were instantly covered with shame, like the human design, we're not designed to, to filter shame. Like that's, that's an emotion and a feeling and a set of complexity that our bodies can't actually process. Um, and so it metastasizes and it creates other symptoms like anger and anxiety and depression and all these things. If we're, if we're holding the shame, it sits somewhere in our bodies because it's foreign, it's a foreign object. And we can see that from the beginning. And so when he sat back and decided to tell the truth, I was able to sit back and receive the truth and it sucked <laughs> and it hurt and it was terrifying. And I was like, okay, we've only been married for three months. I could probably still get this marriage annulled. You know, like that's where my head was at. At that point we went and we saw mentors and pastors, but honestly that became, that became the beginning of our journey towards healing. And it was really long. The first three years of our marriage were really hot and cold, full of angst and control. Cause then at that point he's like, okay, what do we need to do to to create trust again. So we had the whole, the whole thing, covenant eyes, you know, his smartphone had now become a dumb phone. Like he could, he couldn't access the internet. He couldn't, yeah. you know, we didn't, we never walked by the Victoria's secret posters ever. And so it just became this weird unknown place of like, like, what is marriage? Like, what, what are we, if I'm now 
you know, we say now, like he became the child and I became the prison guard. And it, it was now it was no longer two independent humans embarking on a journey together in wholeness and holiness. It was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just become the mom. You know, I guess I'll just monitor his intake of whatever it is. And he felt like a child. He felt imprisoned. Um, and so that was the first three years. And that was super rough. Um, we had a lot of really good mentors around us that kind of coached us through. But even amidst the mentorship, not one person said, I've overcome it. Or not one person said, hey, there's a way through. They were like, you kind of just learn to live with it. And that was really depressing for me. And And I just, I remember thinking in my soul, like, that's unacceptable. Like, I can't, I cannot accept that that's our reality. I cannot accept that my marriage will go 60 years just accepting that this is our story. And yeah, so that's the kind of the beginning of the nutshell. Yeah, I I relate to a lot of it, both in the fact that I was the self-righteous, you know, Pharisee in high school, the Mm. good girl that was like black and white. You just do the right thing. You just follow the right path. And that didn't mesh well with my husband who made different choices in high school. And, and yet we both dealt with shame in completely different ways because when there were moments that I failed and made mistakes, I learned to keep things to myself so that no one knew that I was imperfect. Mm. And for him, it was, I keep making the same mistakes and it's like a snowball of, of shame. And so when we had fallen apart and were separated like five, six years in, and we were on the the path to divorce. And like you said, shame has Mm. to go somewhere. I dropped to a size zero. I Mm. couldn't eat. I was sick every day. And shame just ate away at my bones. And there's that that verse that talks about a broken spirit dries up the bones. Literally me. And so now I like to joke that I'm fat and happy, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, you're perfect. But, but... Shame is just, it can manifest in different ways and everyone can experience it. You know, it's not just when you are a screw up that you Mm -hmm. deal with it. It's thinking that you are above something or Mm -hmm. not even realizing it and thinking, oh, well, I know God. I've known him. I walk with him. I read my Bible, but I'm hiding a piece of me. I'm not letting my husband see when I mess up in little ways, like just the other day. Apparently, my face made a face. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> He's like, oh, when you make that face, it makes me feel blank. I'm like, mm. I just looked at you a certain way. <laughs> he goes, yeah. when, you look, when you look at me that way, it makes me feel small. I'm like, mm. oh. So, I mean, even the little things, because that's evidence to me that I'm hiding something down here. And from the overflow of my mouth, my face is speaking. <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, yeah, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth and the face just kind of come out. So there's something in there that I need to deal with. And we're Mm. learning little things like that. And I'm learning how to confess even small moments like that and not hide them and skirt around it to to hide that from him. Be like, you're right. What was that? I don't even Mm. know. What am I hiding? But that for us looked like a crash and burn initially. So yeah, tell me more about this deepest wounding and this desire to break that generational thing. You wanted to protect your kids. Didn't even know what that really was, but it was a mama instinct. Yeah. Tell me more about this journey of how you guys uncovered this and the changes Mm. that have come from it. Yeah. I think the part that got us the most 
the most aha moment for us was when um, in the story of Adam and Eve, you know, when the enemy comes and, and just how, how much this story has been used and weaponized to oppress women. And I'm not going to get on like a huge soapbox on this one, uh, just a baby one. But I think the idea that Eve was deceived first so therefore women cannot be trusted. I think as women, we grow up in a society, especially if there's any religious wrapping around it. And it's not unique to the Christian, you know, faith, but, you know, the Mormonism faith, pretty much any faith wrapping around comes with this idea that um, we're not to be trusted, that our emotions will be the death of us, and that our um, our perception of things is is hormonal or emotional because Eve, you know, Eve made the decision. Eve made the thing. So I think the biggest aha moment for our marriage was realizing that yes, Eve is recorded to be the first initiator of the fruit taking whatever this fruit represents, but it started before that. And it started with God giving Adam the task and the vision. You know, you can this is your land. You're going to, you're going to grow it. You're going to tend it. You're going to subdue it. You're going to populate the earth. Then he made Eve. So we realized in the order of events that Eve got secondhand information. She was given the vision by Adam. She wasn't given the vision by God. And so there's a, you can see the like passing of information. God gives it to Adam. And then Adam is the leader of his home, gives it to Eve. So when the serpent comes and tempts Eve and he's asking her that did did God really say that and she's like well yeah God said we couldn't eat we could eat of any tree in the garden except for this one we couldn't even touch it so there she rewrites the narrative because God didn't say that he just said don't eat it he didn't say anything about touching it we couldn't even touch it and then Satan asked her it's because it's because when you eat of it you will become like God in knowing good and evil and so here it was for our marriage, we realized the question that she's actually being asked here is not, do you have what you want? The question that the enemy was asking her was, do you have everything that you need? Is your father really good? Did he really give you everything you need for this life in the garden? Or are you missing something like knowledge? Are you missing something like insight? And so at that point, when he hooks her, we realize she takes the fruit, she eats it. And then the scripture says, and she hands it to Adam, who was with her. The actual definition of this portion of scripture is who was side by side, elbow to elbow. So now we see Eve is in front. Eve is initiating this exchange. And then Adam is passively sitting back. So we talk about it in the book as well, like the idea of Eve leans into control and Adam leans into passivity. And when we are leaning away from each other, that's when things start to go sideways. And so in our marriage, the reckoning was I leaned into control. I was like, okay, so we have this, we have this problem. We can fix it. Like we can fix it. And I don't know, like if your mom or your grandma or your aunts ever said that too, like it's, it's fine. It's fine. We'll fix it. It's fine. I'll fix it. Just give it to me. I'll fix it. That's like our generational thing for us. You know, it's, it's fine. I'll, I'll just fix it. And for most women, we grew up hearing those words from our mothers. It's fine. I'll just fix it. And I realized this wasn't something I could fix. It wasn't, I tried, I did all the things I had all the covenant eyes. I 
we had more sex, you know, like that's, and that's the, it used to be the way that we were coached to keep our husbands satisfied was that it was our role and our job. And I think that that has screwed up sexuality for a lot of women. Um, so that's a whole nother podcast that I'm right. sure you could sit on for a while. <laughs> I'd love to come back for that one. Yeah. But I think at that point I was like, okay, we're, we're doing all the things we're having enough sex. We're, ha- we're, the phone is, you know, basically unusable. We're making sure that we're not going to all these things. And I was realizing like, we were just creating a prison where we locked ourselves in. And we were still like pastors. <laughs> we were still doing ministry. We were still planting churches. And so I don't think that this is like something that you can look at your church leadership and say like, oh, they've got it figured out. Let me become like them. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is, is that nobody is the guru on marriage and there are no experts on marriage. There are experts on the information and the data from research. But when it comes to like life on life, we're all just figuring this out together because my marriage is different than your marriage. And you're, you have two individuals who are coming in with childhood wounding and ideas and experiences. And now we're expecting these two wounded people to like create a fruitful life together. You know, like there's bound to be some bumps in the road. So far, so good. And if you don't want to wait till next Saturday to hear the rest of our conversation, head over to my Facebook group at Christian Wife and Marriage Community because this was part of a live episode that we did in that group. You can come watch, pretend that you're watching it live, chat with us if you want to, and get the sneak peek at the rest of the episode. Otherwise, we'll see you back here next Saturday. Loads of love, Lydia. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 15. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. I'll see you next Saturday, same time, same place.